0: Well, have you ever seen a 3D movie? Uh, If you have, you know that it's different than uh, a regular movie. I remember last summer, we were um, in California. We went to Legoland, and one of the exhibits, there was a 3D exhibit. And it was um, one of those where you go in, you sit in an auditorium, but when they put the, the video on or whatever it was, You felt like you were there and that those characters were coming right towards you. It was three-dimensional. It took something that you normally see on a flat screen and made it come to life. And so today, uh, we're going to see the Bible in 3D. Uh, We need to see the words on this page, this simple two-word verse in Hebrew, and see what it means um, in our lives, not only just as words on a page, but in all of life. And so today we're going to look at commandment number seven of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at it in 3D. That if you take this commandment and you trace it throughout the Bible, there are three dimensions to it that open us up to the idea that I want to ask. Is everybody in here? adulterer? Does this pertain just to those few? And so that's what we're going to answer today. We're going to take a long look at the commandment. Uh, we're going to take a deep look at the commandment. And we're going to take a broad look at this one commandment. You see it in Exodus. If you're following along with us, we're making our way through Exodus 20. And we have worked our way through the first 13 verses. We'll actually pick up on number 12 next week. Uh, We've already dealt with 13, and today we're looking at 14. You shall not commit adultery. If you wanted to see this in other translations, we'll start with the oldest English translation, the King James Version. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The new revised standard version, you shall not commit adultery. The new American standard Bible, you shall not commit adultery. The new King James Version, you shall not commit adultery. The NIV, you shall not commit adultery. The amplified Bible, you shall not commit adultery. The net Bible, you shall not commit adultery. And the new living translation, you shall not commit adultery. And the two, it's literally two words in Hebrew, and the message gets, it clo- gets as close as we can get. No adultery. And so obviously, from a quick look at the text, there is no real disagreement on what this literally means. By definition, adultery means having a physical relationship with another person outside of marriage. Interesting that in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules for Life, so to speak, that God gave Israel, the world, and us, there's this assumption that sex... And a physical relationship is for those who are married. And thus far, if you're tracing this through the Bible, uh, you get the only real confine for marriage is between one man and one woman. Adultery, as it was mentioned in Genesis 29, is known as the great sin. That Abimelech actually rebuked Abraham because he said, you almost made me commit the great sin." And likewise, the commandment does not explicitly in thus far in the Bible outlaw polygamy. It was a practice that was thus outlawed in the new testament and here 's a comment for you: converts to Judaism, or Christianity in the ancient world, therefore often enough, came from situations of polygamy, where converts in, divorcing all but one wife in order to achieve the desired monogamy would have represented an offense against marriage greater than polygamy. So people always try to use this as the God allowed it in the Old Testament. What's that mean? Why can't we do it today? But the point is he was moving along with the people and he said it would be far worse for you to then divorce everyone and just be married to your first one because that would have been harder on society. The laws against divorce and everything that's put in the Bible was done to protect women. And what's wrong, and we'll see this in a little while, the Pharisees did not follow those, for, those for, for other reasons. They were trying to get out of those laws. Now, this commandment here, no adultery, does not explicitly condemn premarital sex or, uh, or postmarital sex, cohabitation within formal marriage, bestiality, incest, and all of which are dealt in other places in the Bible. So we're going to say that when we talk about no adultery, implied in that is none of this other stuff. And if you look at Leviticus 18.20, and thus Hebrews 13.4, you get the, the impure results. In Leviticus, it's called you're called unclean if you commit adultery. In Hebrews 13.4, it says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. As one scholar in Sunday school said today, unstinky. It's good. And so that's the point of this. We do not want to commit adultery, number one, because we're unclean, and we keep something that's sacred, uh, we want to keep it from being undefiled, so much so. De- Deuteronomy 22 speaks of the seriousness of adultery. Then, those who were committed, ad- who had committed adultery, were put to death. That's how serious God takes this. In fact, He takes it so serious. I have another quote up here about a marriage. Marriage is the foundational is foundational to the creation order and to human society. Husbands and wives can hardly function fully as one flesh if they do not trust each other. Sexual relations are the virtual seal of the marriage covenant, and adultery betrays the emotional, psychological intimacy that specially connects adult men and women within marriage. And ultimately, it goes against God and His glory. It's that serious. And it has destroyed lives all over America, all over the world. It destroys lives. And so God took it very seriously. We are going to take it very, very seriously. But here's another thing about not only do you have impure results and do you have serious consequences, Proverbs 6.32 says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Think about that. Adultery is illogical. Think about it. It it lacks sense. If people who do that are living in fantasy land, and it's personally hurtful, it destroys himself. And I won't leave it there. It destroys. It destroys. anybody and everybody in its path. We were watching a movie the other day, and you you see at the beginning of movies where it says piracy is not an individual sin. That when you pirate movies, it affects, it has a rippling effect. And so does adultery. That it doesn't just affect you or the person you're married to, but it affects the other person, let's say, that you committed the adultery with. And everybody in between, kids and churches, and it destroys. It's illogical and it's personally hurtful. It's not up there, but I'm going to read you a story in the Bible that's written for boys youth that if you're tra- if you're walking your children through the proverbs the most often talked about subject for young men is this subject my son proverb 7 keep my words treasure up my commandments with thee. With you, keep the commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now listen to this illustration. Here's a good teacher. Solomon the father gives his son a principle, and then he follows it up with an illustration. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. It's nonsensical. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of the night and darkness. It's just this progression. He's just passing along, and then eventually he turns, and it's it's becoming light, and then dusk, and then it's deep darkness. And behold! The woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I have offered sacrifices. Oh, well, I'm religious. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, right? That's the key for today. Today I've paid my vows. So now I've come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from the Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take of our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Here's the reason. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come home. And here Solomon Explains With seductive speech, she persuades him, seduced into it. With her smooth talk, she compels him. It seems so good. And here's the key. All at once. It didn't happen all at once. He, he passed by. He turned down the street. It was light and then dusk and then dark. But all, it seems like all at once. I've, I've worked through some of this with some people. And it, this, is, this is the class. Well, all of a sudden, this came out of the blue. No, it didn't. Adultery doesn't just start and just happen out of the blue. It, it starts and it works its way. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It starts small. It starts with a look and then a conversation and then a, a making your way to be with someone. And all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter and as a stag is caught fast till the arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life and Solomon goes on to explain, sons don't do this don't do this. This is the most discussed subject in training up of young men, and adultery serves as a historical marker on humanity you've heard the old saying it's the oldest uh, adultery is." Part of the oldest profession in the world, the earliest civilization failed at this, and thus the Platonists. Those in the Greek days, uh, Plato said, "You know what? We're gonna. This is so dirty. We're gonna not value physical relationships." And then the pagans said, "No way. We're we're not even gonna celebrate um, monogamy. We're gonna we're going to all physical relationships." To which Paul comes in, and we'll see this in a minute. He says, "No, no, no. The biblical response." is this. There's a third alternative. We're neither prudes nor pagans. We neither avoid the talk or the, of the subject or, or engaging in it, nor do we flaunt it and speak of it irreverently. The Romans, in Paul's day, one of the things that distinguished the church from the world is their ethics. They said they had a radical generosity. They were the ones taking in the orphans. They were the ones supporting the needy. And they had a radical purity. Has anything changed today? I remember very specifically in 2004, I'm in a 7-Eleven in Denton, Texas, and I saw this picture on the Newsweek stand, on the magazine stand, and it stopped me in my tracks. I was a pastor for singles at that time, and I'm like, Oh my, the new infidelity from the office affairs to Internet hookups. More wives are cheating now, too, because more often than not. And I think I was on a cusp in in there where you would everybody always linked adultery with man and the males or pornography with males. But if you just follow the stats, it's amazing. Now, this is not something that's just uh, for men only. This has devastated a culture. And it may look a little different between male and females, but it is here. There's this new infidelity. Interesting to know, the the more educated you become, the more likely you are to deny a certain thing. The percent who believe that extramarital, extramarital sex is always wrong. Notice the highest line there is, those with no high school education hold to this. You get a high school education, you come down a little bit. You get a college education, it comes down even further. And you're, if you have a graduate education, the, high, the smarter you get, so to speak, the less likely you are to hold to the fact that extramarital sex is always, and it's always wrong. It is always wrong. And if you were to trace this from Genesis all the way through revelation the long view of it is the physical relationship outside of marriage is wrong that's the long view and then comes along jesus and he gives us a deep view that everybody sitting in here may say well i'm i've been married for so many years and i've never committed adultery oh you haven't have you Let's look at the depth of the commandment. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And he's not denying that. He's saying that is wrong. But I say to you everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already already committed with her and his adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell and if your right eye right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell looking with lust ladies and gentlemen is committing adultery in the heart to look and then to desire And see, it's looking with lust. We always, we don't always, I won't be extreme. We often associate the word lust with this physical lust, and it is. But the word is about looking with desires. And I would go on to say to you that when we fantasize about being in another relationship, male or female, oh, if if my husband were just this. If my husband would just do this, not thinking lustfully about another man, but if if my husband would just act like that. My friends, you are committing adultery in your heart. He goes on to say, take drastic measures to stop it. I remember being a singles pastor for so many years. This was one of the key things at that time. The Internet was starting to come out and both men and women got caught up into this. I'd say, well, get rid of your computer. Well, I, I, I just don't think I could do it. Jesus speaking hyperbolically here. He's not telling you to gouge out your eye or cut off. That's hyperbolically. Don't walk out of here thinking you're going to, don't say your pastor said, well, Jesus. No, no, no. He's, he's speaking. He's saying, do whatever it takes. Because if you don't fight this, the indication is you've never trusted me going to hell. Take drastic measures. Give up the computer. Give up whatever you have to give up. But don't go down that road. Don't be that Proverbs 7 person. Hell awaits those who do not fight. John Saut says when Jesus speaks of this, he takes the the definition deeper. It's not just physical adultery. It's flirting. It's experimenting. It's fantasies outside of marriage. It's the perversions inside of it. Obviously, Pornography. I looked at a stat this week. Pornography increases infidelity 300%. And Jesus would say, check your heart. Check your heart. Where's your heart? He would even go on to show you the connection between divorce and adultery. In verse 31 of Matthew, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The Pharisees had come to a point where they were just wanting to l- live willy-nilly. They didn't really care about women. They didn't want to take care of their wives. And so they were looking for loopholes. And they said, didn't, didn't Moses command this? And Jesus said, no, no, no. And you're, it was because of the hardness of your heart. But here he says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman commits adultery. He goes on to say in Matthew 19, 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. So both the parties become adulterers. If marriage is so important, it must be protected against adulteration. And I remember teaching the Sermon on the Mount. You remember this? At the Size Loves Barn. I was teaching on this, and... Ashley and I, I don't even think we had kids at the time. We didn't have kids at the time. I'm teaching on this. And and there was this immense, you could just feel it in the room, and all eyes were on me. Like, you two have been married, like, all of six months, and you're teaching on this. Like, it's the Bible. It's not me. And they came up to me. This one lady came up to me, and she had tears. She had tears in her eyes. She said, then, if this is true, Am I an adulterer right now in this marriage? And I, had, I didn't know the ESV, the ESV study Bible hadn't been written then, but I basically said the note from the ESV study Bible to her at that time. I said to her, no. I didn't really know exactly how to articulate it. I wish I would have the ESV study Bible. This is what it says. Jesus is thus indicating that such a second marriage begins with committing adultery. It says that right there. There's no getting around that since divorce would not have been valid in God's eyes. And marries another, implies that the the second marriage, though it begins in adultery, is still a marriage. Once a second marriage has occurred, it would be further sin to break it up. The second marriage should not be thought of as continually living in adultery, for the man and the woman are now married to each other, not to anyone else. And so I comforted her. I said, you start from right now, and you go forward. God's grace is huge and it will cover your sin. You don't worry about what has happened in the past. You ask for forgiveness and you move forward. She was crushed but when I had preached it but after when she asked the question, you just see this relief. And if you're here today and that you've been in that situation, same grace extends to you. Paul would go on to show that keeping this commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is actually one of the most loving things you can do. Romans 3, 9, 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Staying physically pure within marriage, and I would now expand it outside of marriage, and staying mentally pure Not looking at a woman to lust for her is the most loving thing you can do. It's the most loving thing you can do in your relationship in a sense that you're going to say, God, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look at someone to lust for them. Husbands and wives, it begins with you and I in our hearts making that commitment that we're not going to look outside of our marriage. Young people in here who are not married. It begins right now that you say, that is my brother or Um, That is my brother and sister in the Lord. That could be somebody else's wife. I remember I was a young Christian at the time. I was being discipled by Curtis Rippey. You've heard me mention his name. And I was at Arthur Anderson and I was dating a girl. And I've shared all this with my wife, though. So she's not hearing this like first time. And I and, and at that time I'm 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 walking. You're always moving from to, and so I'm walking from a lifestyle to a better lifestyle. I'm walking to one of the flesh to one of the spirit. And I said, he said, "Hey, how's it going?" I said, "It's good." He goes, "Kissed her, huh?" I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Are you going to marry her?" I was like, "I don't know." And He goes, "Shouldn't do that." And here's what he said, "That's that could be somebody else's spouse." And when he said it like that, I was just like, oh, you see the severity to which he said that. It is not for us to lock lips prior to marriage. Trust me. I was a singles pastor for seven years. And this was one of the most devastating things. It creeps in and it gets into relationships. But it doesn't begin with just the kiss. It it begins with Intimate conversations that probably should be kept and shouldn't be had until you're married. It it begins with the culture that you live in and what we start to promote. This is far wider and far deeper than we think. It goes deep, it goes into the heart, but it starts to go broad in the fact that when we exalt a woman's body or a man's body, but more often than not in America, we've exalted the woman's body and we're saying this Is what every woman should look like, and this is what you should wear, and this is what you should flaunt. It starts there. It's you go to a college uh, retreat. Teach. I taught a college retreat a couple years ago, and I'm just like wanted to say from the mic, would would half y'all go put on some clothes, please, please. Hey, yeah, we're not to look. Absolutely, turn away. Right, turn away. Martin Luther said you can't keep the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from landing. That's what a man's responsibility is. And ladies, and I don't see it much here, but you may have friends, just clothe yourself. Again, my wife, and you've heard this before, we're hoping, starting probably today, (laughs) it's Valentine's, Today, for another 10 years or until Lauren gets married, baggy clothes come back into you know, those big sweatshirts. Just the baggy stuff is just we're promoting that. We're bringing back baggy. It's like, you know, bell bottoms, then baggy clothes. We, get, we don't we don't need it. You don't need it. The most loving thing you can do is take into consideration the other person and say, how can I be a brother and sister to this person? And if you're married, the most loving thing you can do is have eyes only for your spouse. And you if you weren't here, you can go listen to it in the Song of Solomon. Your standard of beauty, men and women, especially men, your standard of beauty is your spouse. That is your standard of beauty. That is your spouse. If you've ever heard my phone ring... I've got Bruno Mars on my phone, and he's talking about my wife is beautiful, and I tell her every day because I love her just the way she is. I'm not, I'm not looking and seeing something on TV, going, "Huh, honey, what do you think?" No, 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 no. My standard of beauty is my wife. Your standard of beauty is your spouse, and so, so Jesus <coughs> takes it deeper. We, we look and you trace it through the scripture. It's about f- the physical act, the physical act, the physical act. Nobody's denying that. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not just the physical act. It goes deeper. It goes to your, to your heart. Because the heart reveals something. Overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And I would say the lustful eyes that look from that heart, they're dissatisfied. When you look for other things, for some reason, whether it's your relationship with the Lord or your relationship with your spouse, you're dissatisfied with something. But that's not where it stops. There is this long look. There is a deep look. But my friends, according to the scripture, there is a broad look. There is a third dimension. In Hosea 4, in the book of Hosea, the Lord tells Hosea to go marry Gomer, a prostitute. The prophet writes on the behalf of God that the people of God were forsaking the commandments and following these other gods, and thus he called it spiritual adultery. And so he says, I want you to take this one who's committed spiritual physical adultery so we can have a picture of the spiritual adultery that's going on within the nation. And I want you to marry her and show you that I love the unlovable. I love the unclean. I love the defiled. And you're saying, well, that's good. That's Hosea 4. Give me something to sink my teeth into. Well, Bo read it earlier and just listen to it again. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, see, this is both men and women. We have passions and they wage war within us. You desire and do not have, so you murder. We get angry. We've talked about that. You covet, that's coming up, and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. There's the second time. And notice what it says there. I highlighted it for you so you don't miss it. You adulterous people. So going back to the question, does this verse pertain to everybody? Absolutely, if you look at it in 3D. When you and I follow after the world, if we become friendly with the world, if we flirt with the world, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God. But there's grace. I love what James says here. Do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Remember back when we were talking about God and having no other gods because he's a jealous God. He desires you. He desires you more than you desire him. And he jealously uh, yearns. And I love what it says here. When Bo was reading it, it hit me at a different... I didn't. It was up on the screen and I hadn't caught this. But he gives more grace... Not only the fact that the grace is he loves you more than you love him, but he gives more grace that he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. If you will humble yourself, here's how you do it. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. By the way, submitting to God is resisting the devil. It's not like I have to go out and fight the devil's battle. Read the book of Jude if you want more on that. He will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Even James, going off his older brother, says it's it's a heart issue, you double-minded. Don't live out here and you say one thing, but in here desire another. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning your joy to gloom. Oh, humble yourselves. He ends on a positive note. Before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never committed physical adultery, but I've, I've committed spiritual adultery. Whether it's looking f- at a woman to lust for her, or fantasizing to be in a different type of marriage, or just friendship with the world and not pursuing God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. James says, if you'll humble yourselves before the Lord, He will exalt you. So do we break this commandment? You bet we do. But there's good news. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's the greatest picture of the good news given to an adulterer. In John 8, 3-11, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Here are the guys who are making concessions to get out of their relation, marital relationships all over the place. And so they bring a woman caught in adultery. One of the scholars at Compass this week made a good point. Hey, where's the man? in all this because in the Old Testament it said Deuteronomy 22 both of them were to be stoned both of them were to be gone but they bring this woman caught in adultery placing her in his midst and they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women so what do you say verse 6 they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him as if he would say hey she doesn't, uh, if he, he, he lets her off the hook, he doesn't follow the law. And there is one time in the Bible, Jesus writes, he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. There's Jesus' journal, just one, one thing. I'm going to start the Jesus journal. I don't know what it, it's got nothing in it because I don't know what he wrote. But perhaps, using my sanctified imagination. These Pharisees, men, bring this one woman and start quoting the law. Could could he have written Deuteronomy 22, 22 down and said, aren't you forgetting someone? Which pierced their hearts. Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Oh, he, I, I got it wrong. He wrote twice. And once more, he'd been down and wrote on the ground. So he got the Jesus Journal has two sentences in it. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I love this. Jesus, I like him because he's Captain Obvious. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And so he he probably shows them the law, which we've talked about before, before in here is a mirror to show you your own sin. And these men see that they have the same sin as her walk away. And she said, no, Lord, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So he didn't accept her as she was and said, you can stay there. God doesn't accept us as we are, as if we are to stay there. He accepts us despite who we are, and he wants us to change. And so John records this picture of grace, of Christ forgiving someone who has committed physical adultery. How could Jesus offer such scandalous grace? This goes against the law because he himself would go and be a sacrifice for her sins. Because he himself would go and be a sacrifice for our sins. And so if you're here today and you've never committed the act, praise the Lord. Perhaps you've committed it in your heart. And certainly, I can attest that there have been times in my life where I'm more friendly with the world than I am with my Lord. So I can rightly identify with James 4, 4 I'm an adulterer. I need the same grace that Jesus offered her. Two Hebrew words: no adultery. Three dimensions: the length in Scripture, the depth of the heart and the broadness of how the Bible views our love, our loves in the world. And so I give you one, two, maybe three applications. Here's the verse I would love for you to think about. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But as for you, all this is going on in the world, but ask for you, O man of God or O woman of God, flee these things. Flee. Do you know what flee means in, in English? You know what the Greek, the Greek word means in English? It means flee. It's really fascinating. It just means flee. Not Flirt. Not tap dance around to literally run from, run from. I've got a little video for you, short but sweet, to show you how you run from sin. Walkway, Marco yeah, uh, in Sky Five. Uh, well, this, this is very interesting. <laughs> Apparently, the bears decided yeah, that's to right, you move know. around. Oh, garbage cans are out, too. Mm, yeah, so just so a couple so. of minutes ago, the bear left the clearing in the backyard there, and he made his way over to the driveway over on Mayfield. He came down that driveway, down Mayfield, and now he's on Briggs, and now it looks like he's turning into another driveway here. We're going to kind of maneuver around and see if we can get another shot of him. Uh, but, uh, there's yeah, he a would person definitely oh, right there. Oh, there. Oh, okay? Man. Someone, uh, okay? There. <laughs> he yeah. just saw the bear. You flee the bear. He didn't go, ah, oh, get bigger than the bear and I'm bigger, you know. He ran from the bear. Did you see what he was texting? He had his head down. He looks up and there's Smokey right in front of him. And the natural response was to get out of there. That should be our, as Christians, supernatural response. Flee. Don't flirt. Flee. You run from. And pursue. Interesting. Flee in the Greek means to run from. Pursue means to run to. We are always running from something and running to something. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness, gentleness. Gentlemen, if we're fleeing sensuality and we're fleeing lust, we're pursuing our spouse. We're fighting the good fight of faith. We're taking hold of eternal life. In which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. More on that in just a minute. But I want to show you how do you pursue your wife? What what kind of woman or spouse has God given every man who is married? What kind of spouse has God given every man who is married? Proverbs 5 tells us. Much like Proverbs 7, Solomon tells him 1 through 13. The dangers of adultery. And 20 through 23, the dangers of adultery. But sandwich in between these dangers of adultery are the delights of marriage. If we're to flee, we're to pursue, if we're to move from something and to something, I'm to move away from these things. And I'm moved towards my wife. Who is my wife according to the Scriptures? Let me read the whole thing, 15 through 18. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. little Hebrew grammar here. Parallelism is how we work in Hebrew. The first line is complemented by the second. If you look at verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. What is your fountain, gentlemen? It is the wife of your youth. And look what God does so marvelously here in His Word. He moves from cistern, something that just sits there, to a well that's deeper and living, to springs that are flowing, to streams of water that are flowing greatly, to fountains that are overflowing. And He calls that the wife of your youth. And when He's walking through this, When I was in seminary, they're walking through this in Hebrew class. It got a little hot under the collar because my professor thought it was okay in a room of mostly gentlemen to say, boys, let me tell you what this means. And I was like, (laughs) Dr. Chisholm. You remember Dr. Chisholm? I said, "Woo, It's it's getting hot in here. I need to go home <laughs> to my wife, who's God's provision for me that, according to Dr. Chisholm, I can't handle. So, that's how God's designed it. It's to be overflowing. In fact, in the next verse, I'll just read the last part of it. Go read the first part on your own if you want. Be intoxicated with her love. She's too much for you to handle is what he said. And this is the only time. Don't ever walk out of here talking about drunkenness with alcohol. But this is the one time in the scripture you can be literally intoxicated with your wife. Go over the top. Whoa. You Flee one thing. Pursue the other. What better day to have Proverbs five, fifteen through 19 on Valentine's Day? I know some of you are like, these are my new favorite verses. <laughs> Add that to 1 Corinthians 7. Your body's not your own. I, mean, I do that, and my wife's like, well, it goes back and forth here, honey. So you flee. You pursue. And look at back in, the, in 1 Timothy. It said you fight the good fight of faith. That means You have effort. James called it a battle, this wages war, so we're to fight. It's not something we kind of give it half-hearted attempts. Have you ever seen a guy go into the ring? You don't go into the ring kind of half-hearted. You go in, you're protecting yourself. You're getting in and out, and you're protecting. You use spiritual effort. You flee from sin. You pursue your spouse. Sex is a good gift to married people. By the way, it's not required. Jesus, he's the most perfect human who ever lived. He's the most perfect man who ever lived. He had the most fulfilling life of any human that ever lived. Think about it. God incarnate never sinned, was completely perfectly walking with God, trusting in God, was never married, despite what the Da Vinci Code and people like to say. He was never married and he never had sex. And sex isn't a need. We we do the his needs, her needs. Well, I need sex. Let me go make deposits in the emotional checkbook so I can withdraw them later. That's just corny. It is. Jesus didn't need sex. Paul I go with the fact that he wasn't married. Paul was a single man. Both those men did great things for the Lord, but it is a good gift, and you should pursue it within marriage. And you should fight your flesh. One of my favorite pastors that said of one time, how do you do this? And he literally says his family can hear him calling out no in his study. No, he's fighting it. And he's taking hold. There's a deliberate action of eternal life. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold. It's a battle. It's a battle. I have a book. It's a battle, and you'll see in the next slide. It's called Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. It was a national conference at Bethlehem Baptist Church years back, and I got the book. It is so good. Mark Dever writes on, we call people Puritans, if they stay pure before marriage and call them prudes. And he said, you guys have never really read the Puritans. The Puritans were like uh, the American version of, of Song of Solomon. They wouldn't let young kids read about what the Bible talked about because they saw it was so sensual and so over the top, so fountain. And David Pallison wrote a chapter in there called Making All Things New, Restoring Pure Joy to the Sexually Broken. And it is and has become my model for not only uh, counseling people with uh, sexual brokenness, but it is a great picture of sanctification. It is wonderful. Here's what he says. Bring to light all that darkens life. The surefire way to stop sexual immorality in your marriage and your own personal life is to bring it to the light. Call someone. I had a guy call me one time. And I think he thought it was early on in being here, and he thought he w- he didn't know what he was going to receive. And here's how God works: just that day, I had read Proverbs 28:30. Comes over to my house, explains the situation, and I said, "You know, Proverbs speaks to that. Proverbs speaks to that. 28:13 Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper." but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I said, all you're going to get from me, brother, is mercy. Because you're, you're coming clean. You're bringing to light all that darkens life. And then he said, understand, and this is what I think will help you, and help. it has helped me understand the battle we face. He said, it is a longer battle. Sanctification is a direction we're heading and repentance is a life we're leading. God seems content to deal with individuals on a scale of decades, throughout a whole lifetime. That's why we must be a people of grace who don't bend the rules. We hold them up, but we say God's going to work over plenty of time with any one person. It's no accident that the God, the God who is love that love is patient. God takes his time with us. We're lifelong learners in a living relationship with a wise master, says David Pallison. He went on to say, sometimes we're leaping, sometimes we're walking, sometimes we're trudging, sometimes we're crawling, sometimes we're just facing the right direction. And he said, it's all according to God's plan. It's a long battle. And it's a wide battle. There's complexities here that he said we're complex creatures steeped in sin. And so sin touches every area of your life. And he said it's a deeper battle, a battle for a heart satisfied in God. So he says, bring bring it to the light. Just show. And if you're here today and this is something, come find me, find Jim, find someone you trust and just bring it to the light. Nobody's going to condemn you. They're going to show you just like Jesus showed that woman. Bring it to the light, and then we'll help you understand. It's a, it's a long battle. It's a deep battle. It's a wide battle. And then he would go on to say, "Remember the goal. What is the goal? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. That God has called you to something bigger than yourself. It's not, it's not just about what you're wrestling with in your life. Remember the big goal, and finally, get down to the skirmish of today." What do you have to do today? What is the one thing I need to do today? And I add one. So you're to flee. You're to pursue. You're to take hold of eternal life. And that first Timothy said, in the presence of many witnesses, I want to show you another verse. This is a, a young man's life verse in here. So flee youthful passions. There's that flee again. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And here's the key. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It starts in the heart, but we need each other. We were not called to fight this particular sin or any sin apart from one another. That is what's so special about the church. It is a hospital. And we want you to come in here. I want you to come in here expectant. Somebody walked in today and they said, I'm happy to be here. And I'm like, man, if 75 people would walk in and just go, I'm happy. But we realize that doesn't happen every week. So we don't want you putting on the plastic smile. Check it off the list. Maybe you'll say something good today. And at the same time, we want you coming expectantly. I can I can share with these people what's going on in my life and they're going to Why? Because Jesus loved them. Because Jesus loved them. So I'll conclude with this. Tonight, it's warm here in the valley. Tonight you're probably wearing shorts and a t-shirt. But the next time it gets cold, you might go and you might start a fire. And where are you going to start that fire? You're going to start it in a fireplace. Because a fireplace is a good place to have a fire. It's a place where once the fire started, it gives light, it gives heat. It's a place to gather around. I remember this Christmas, we were gathered at our at a Christmas dinner. We were all gathered around the fireplace. And it's safe as long as the fire is in the fire. When the fire gets outside the fireplace, that's when it causes destruction. So, we shall not commit adultery. Not the physical act, not the heart act, not any broad act that separates us from the God who jealously longs to be with you. We should keep it contained so it gives light and heat and intimacy where it belongs. Happy Valentine. Father, help us, help myself and any man or woman in here, Lord, to to see the heart of the matter, that we would be pure in heart, not only in physical acts of immorality, but those things, Lord, that keep us from having a deeper relationship with you, whatever it is in our life, Lord, that we're flirting with, that we should be fleeing from. Lord, would you give us that conviction? And Lord, you've given us a community. Would we go to somebody and just bring to light everything that darkens life? Lord, for those in here who are married, I pray a special prayer, especially today, in a world that's perverted marriage, they've perverted romance, that it's been now narrowed down to Anybody and everybody all the time, however they want to do it, I pray that we would see the truth behind one man and one woman in the confines of their own home. And I pray for every single marriage in here. That if need be, you would light the fire again. By the power of your Holy Spirit, through the conviction of your written word, that you would light the fire again. And for those who the fire is lit, Lord, would you just let it continue to burn and burn brightly. Father, I pray for those who've been crushed by this. Would you show them today that they have a place They are important to you. And life doesn't revolve around sexual intimacy and marriage, but life is bigger. It's, It's about a bigger family, the church. Would you show them grace, the people of the church? And Father, if there's anyone in here today that this is just a struggle, give us grace we humble ourselves before you, you will exalt us in your perfect timing. Teach us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.